Um, we will begin our meeting now at 5.32. Binda, can you take roll, please? Yes. Loretta Mallon? Present. Richard Harvey and Lucia Angel will not join us tonight. Niha Banger? B. Wack, B. Franks Walker? Here. Eric Murphy will not join us tonight. Mark Smith? Here. Derek Turner? Here. Ali Yessing? Present. We have a quorum. Thank you, Brenda. Well, hello, everyone. I hope everyone's doing well. Um, Brenda, can you scroll up a little bit on the... Yeah, thank you. Um, I uh, included... I had Heather include an article in our, um, our package this time about what Governor Newsom has been talking about since March. He um, wants to make sure that all homeless people, whether they're um, suffering from addiction or mental health or both, that they are mandatorily put into a program. And um, it's kind of new, you know, there's a lot of objections to it because if a person is not ready to go into recovery, then the likelihood of it working is, is not very good. But this is something new they want to try. They're going to call it CareCourt, and it stands for Community Assistance, Recovering, and Empowerment. And uh, if any of the, the homeless um, are in trouble with the law, if they agree to go into this program, all those charges will be dropped, and they will be followed. And the program is for, it can be up to a year, and then it can be renewed for another year. And um, the, the purpose behind it, I think I like it a lot. I like the fact that we, we want to get um, our homeless mental health people taken care of. However, I do agree, and, and this is something that is my opinion, I do agree that um, we don't have enough behavioral counselors and we don't have enough homes to put these people into. So I'm wondering, you know, how, what's going to happen with that? Because they're saying that if the counties don't um, put this, implement this, that they can be fined $1,000 a day. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. Um, Alameda County is not mandated till 2024. However, San Francisco is one of the first ones to be mandated, along with some uh, other ones down south. Um, I don't know. This, it's food for thought. See what you think about it. He, Governor Newsom hasn't officially signed it. He has till the end of the month, but this was his idea, so I'm pretty sure he's going to sign it. And um, we'll see what happens. Any thoughts? Uh, this is Mark. I have I have one. I I totally kind of agree with what you were saying. Uh, my, my concern about this. Um, First of all, I think it's a bold step. I, I really actually applaud mm -hmm. the step in a lot of ways um, uh, because we need to do something. Uh, and uh, on the surface, um, it looks like it's better than nothing. However, um, the, the, caveats, the caveats are there, and, and one of them, mm -hmm. 
certainly that sticks out is uh, we don't uh, we don't uh, basically have uh, currently um, the the manpower to to um, provide uh, psychotherapists um, uh, for psychological assessments. Uh, for um, all the people that uh, might seek them out or need them in order to actually fulfill out uh, for any count, any one county uh, the requirements of, of, of uh, this legislation. Um, now, I, 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 I don't uh, dismiss it out of hand because um, I'm one of those kind of people that I'm a political junkie, so I'm one of those kind of people that would love to read the entire uh, uh, bill. Uh, to see what else is in it, um, but mm-hmm. one of the key things that is missing, uh, if it's not there already, is um, that there has to be some kind of uh, second part of the plan uh, which gets um, uh, clinicians and other people into the pipeline in order to, to actually uh, be able, uh, for counties, uh, to be able to actually um, uh, be able to comply uh, with with, right. uh, with this bill once it becomes law. Yeah, and and I think I think that um, that's been a problem not having enough uh, behavioral health workers and uh, not having places to house these people. You know, that's that's my concern. You know, I know we want to get the homeless off the streets. But where are we going to put them, you know, um, if we have to do this right away? Um, the last thing I'll say about this is um, the um, criminal justice system a few years ago, maybe close to 10 years now, um, started a, a program called Drug Court. And I, if any of you are familiar with it, you know that if someone got in trouble for possession or selling or just different things, uh, concerning drugs, instead of going to jail, they could um, agree to go to outpatient or inpatient uh, health, uh, you know, somewhere for their recovery. And then also, they had to come monthly to, to visit the judge. The judge was always very committed, and they were rewarded for their um, accomplishments that they had made, you know, through their recovery. And the program is really good. Um, and, and I saw a lot of success with that. The only problem is, once again, is that these people need follow-up. You know, they need to have a peer counselor, or it doesn't have to be a health professional necessarily, but a peer counselor that can check on them and, you know, help them when when they're challenged again with their um, addiction. So we'll see. We'll see what happens with this. Um, I hope that our mayor in San Francisco is uh, up for this, because <laughs> uh, San Francisco is one of the first counties that has to put this into implementation by October of this year. So wow. it will be interesting to see. To get a chance, go ahead and read the whole article. It's, it's rather interesting. Um, okay, thank you. I, I just wanted to add one other thing, if I may. Yes, ma'am. The other thing, too, is um, I think about also a lot of the homeless people uh, on the street uh, who, who do have uh, mental health um, and uh, substance abuse issues uh, who, uh, even if you had, even right now, if we had adequate housing, 
in which to keep, quote-unquote, an eye on people uh, so we can do follow-up um, to, to uh, implement uh, this law and to uh, follow it to uh, hopefully it's uh, to, to best practices. Uh, you do have the other issue where you have homeless people who are mentally ill and do have substance abuse problems that uh, even if housing was made available, um, there's, um, uh, there's, a, there's a, a large swath of them who actually refuse to be housed no matter what and don't want to be housed. Right, and, and that's why how this program is a little bit different because they would be mandated. So um, anybody, a family member, can um, ask for them to be mandated. Um, any of a first responder or um, a physician that's working with a, a patient um, that thinks that they need that, that one-year plan or two-year plan to um, help them get their life started back on track, um, you know, I, the idea theoretically I think is good. Um, there's still a few, like I said, a few loopholes in it that I think they're going to have to, um, I guess, come up with solutions as they as they face them. That's that's the main thing. But yeah, I really think it's. It's a stretch, but it's a good idea. And anything we can do to get people off the street, <clears throat> get them into right. a sanitary place where right. they can feel the pride of warmth of a home, yes. a shelter. It, it's just so sad to see all of that on the street. And they're just, they're living like animals out there. Right, right. And, and that's really, we, sh we, we are too rich of a country to have them living like that. And yes, we're not going to be able to save everybody, but I think we will be able to save some. And if Absolutely. A few, that's better than nothing. Absolutely, I agree. That's right. Neat. Well, thank you guys for sharing with me in this. Um, we'll see what happens. <laughs> okay. Okay, can I um, get a motion to approve our minutes from our August 9th meeting and also to adopt the resolution authorizing remote teleconferencing meetings pursuant to AB 361? I make a motion that we approve the meeting from last month from August. By second. Thank you. Just to clarify that, um, B, were you making the motion for, for both? The minutes yes. and the resolution? Yes, for everything. Okay. Thank you. And then, Mark, did you still second that motion? Uh, yes, I did. Okay. And then, um, Brenda, if you wouldn't mind doing a roll call on that motion to have a vote. Yes. I will call your name for the vote. Please say yes or no. Loretta Mallon? Yes. B. Franks Walker? Yes. Mark Smith? Here. Derek Turner? Yes or no? Wait, sorry, yes. sorry but before you go on, I want to clarify. Yes. Mark? Yes. 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 Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. Thank you. Derek Turner? Yes. Yes. Ali Yesen? Yes. The motion passed. Thank you. Yeah. 
Okay, um, item C uh, is a report and a discussion from our medical director, Damon Francis. Loretta, may I interrupt one moment? I yes. sent you a message. I sent you a message in the chat. Oh, you did. Okay. But can I give Loretta just a minute to see the message before we yes. move on? Ah, uh -huh. uh, yes. Uh huh. Great. Yes. Um, <clears throat> before we go on, I, I do want to um, introduce Derek to everyone. He's our new board member, and um, I've known Derek for quite a few years. He's got a heart of gold and really um, is concerned with people on the street and with addiction. And I think he's going to be a wonderful, I know he's going to be a wonderful addition to our board. So welcome, Derek. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, welcome. Thank you. We're glad to Sharon. have you. <laughs> Great. Okay, and then, I'm sorry, now let's go back to see um, Damon. Thanks so much. Welcome, Derek. Uh, great to have you and, and uh, looking forward to meeting you in person at some point soon. Thank you. Um, I also wanted to um, introduce someone new who I think all of you have heard about, um, who's our new Associate Chief Medical Officer, um, who shares responsibility um, with you all for supervising me now. Um, good luck to her on that, right? Um, <laughs> uh, Dr. Portia Mack, um, who really has, um, you know, when I talked to Lucy last week and she was like, you guys got Portia Mack, you know, she was so excited uh, because of the work she's done with, with Street Outreach in the past. Um, and we're really, really glad to have her here. So I'd love to just give um, Dr. Mack a, a, a couple seconds just to introduce herself to the team. Hi. Yes. Uh, thank Hi. you so, so much. Yeah, I'm Portia Mack. I am uh, a month in now at Alameda Health mm -hmm. System. I am a pediatrician by training, but um, I have worked almost 15 years in the um, CHCN world, first at Lifelong Medical, then at the Vasquez Health Center. And I had the pleasure of actually starting a um, street health program at Tiburcio. And so I uh, was able to uh, work with healthcare uh, for the homeless in that capacity. And I am so excited to be at Alameda Health System. And thank you for welcoming me. Mm. We're excited to have you. Welcome. Yeah, welcome. Welcome, welcome. Uh, thanks so much. Uh, and the only other item I wanted to um, follow up on just from last time, we, we have been kind of tracking uh, monkeypox or mpox now. Excuse me, I, I, keep, I keep having trouble adjusting my language around that. Um, uh, so... The case levels, you know, in the community at large really peaked around the time of our last meeting at the beginning of August and um, have now come down significantly, um, although we still are seeing, you know, new cases of MPOX. Um, the, um, you know, treatment and uh, vaccination are now available to um, any outpatients across the health center here and across our county and community. The, the, the county is making those available to the, some of the larger um, healthcare systems and making sure that patients can find places to get um, vaccinated or get treatment. Um, but those do include all of our all of our community clinics now at Alameda Health System as well. And um, there's really not much of an update on the on the 
um, on the um, response in terms of isolation and, and quarantine. It continues to be on a case-by-case basis. Um, really, as you know, as Lucy and I talked about last time, this is this is not transmitted quite so easily as COVID is, and so there's not a need for the kind of same high volume isolation and quarantine that we were doing for COVID. And in many cases, people are able to isolate um, in the locations where they're where they're already staying. Um, uh, pe- people who are in shelters um, are able to isolate in locations where they're already staying. So Lucy's team continues to be really involved in making sure that um, everyone you know, who's experiencing homelessness, who, who has MPOX, um, has you know, everything they need to isolate safely and that we're preventing the spread in those communities. But again, the, the, fortunately, the trajectory has you know, bent the other direction and, and uh, we're on the way down right now. And hopefully with our you know, wider accessibility of vaccines, we'll kind of stay at that, at the, that low level of um, cases. So I just wanted to give you guys an update on that since it's such a uh, big topic. Damon. Oh. Are we, are we frozen? Yeah. No, I was just cut out the end. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, I was saying I just wanted to give an update since it was a big topic last meeting, but yeah, um, yeah. Nothing else to, to report out on. Great, thank you, Damon. Okay, item G. <clears throat> We're um, going to welcome Maritza Brown. She's going to talk about the eSmart expansion. Take it away, Maritza. I actually don't see Maritza here, so I'm, I'm getting in. Oh, you're going to do it for her. Okay. So, so give me a minute. Um, in the meantime, do you want to go to the next item, and I'll, yes. I'll try to pull Maritza in. Thank okay, you. perfect. Can you, yeah, there we go. Okay. Um, so the next one, uh, item E, is a report on our mobile health clinic, the dental update. And Joshwin Hall is here. Yeah. Hello, Joshwin. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you doing? Fine, thank you. Do you guys have the PowerPoint? Oh yeah. Yes. There yes. There we go. Yeah, so um, I'm Dr. Hall. Um, I've been tasked with piloting the mobile dental program. Um, So I'm just gonna give you guys a few updates. So I guess we can dive in, if you don't mind going to the next slide. So in our phase one, uh, our goal was to do dental screenings, dental education, oral hygiene instructions, application of fluoride and varnish, uh, distribution of oral hygiene kits, and coordinating comprehensive dental care and emergency care for patients, uh, basically connecting them to our brick and mortar at Highland. Um, do you mind going to the next slide? Some of our accomplishments. So we were able to do everything that we listed there um, for our goals, in addition to doing warm handoffs to our mobile medical team for patients that had high blood pressure or any medical concerns or diabetes. Uh, also, we're able to coordinate dental care for 35% of our patients, which was a great accomplishment. And then again, uh, you know, connecting the patients to care for comprehensive care or emergency patient or emergency treatment at uh, at Highland. Um, can we go to the next slide? So our phase two goals were to acquire and purchase uh, dental equipment also to expand dental services uh, by providing limited exams, dental x-rays, dental cleanings, sedative and temporary fillings, and then also getting a registered dental assistant uh, at 0.5 FTE. 
Um, can we go next slide? Thank you. Um, so what we're able to accomplish is uh, we were able to get the instrumentation we needed and also the mobile dental equipment. We were able to hire an RDA. Um, also, we were able to hire an assistant practice manager. And then we were also able to complete the design of the sterilization process for the instrumentations um, and work out that flow with San Leandro Hospital. Um, additionally, we were able to add um, a rotation for our GPR program, for our residency program through dental, which has increased access to care. Um, and that's kind of translated into having the residents see those patients on, uh, at our mobile unit and then seeing them at Highland. Um, so they're able to see them for same day visits, comprehensive exams, and then even short visits. Um, one of our, uh, you know, uh, I guess greatest accomplishments in phase two is um, doing a dental cleaning on our first patient. So we were able to accomplish that last week. Uh, patient was very satisfied with the services and, uh, you know, it was a team effort. Um, can we go to the next slide? Uh, this is just an example here, kind of pictures of our setup. So um, our portable patient uh, dental chair, our portable provider stool, and our portable dental light. Um, the patient chair is that larger gray chair and then the provider stool and the light. Uh, so what we're able to do is actually bring all of this equipment off the van to different sites and different areas uh, to provide the dental services. Can we move to the next slide, please? Thank you. Uh, so this is our portable delivery unit. So this is actually uh, has a vac system, a compressor, uh, so uh, allows us to do cleanings, fillings, uh, a lot of complex procedures that we wouldn't be able to do without, you know, having a, a true dental, uh, you know, chair or unit, you know, with us. Um, moving to the next slide. Uh, so this is the patient that we saw last week. A uh, patient came in, chief complaint was pain on the lower right, and he also wanted a cleaning. Um, we were able to address his chief complaint. Uh, we actually got him a same-day visit at Highland the following day, and we were able to provide the dental cleaning for him. Um, he was extremely thankful and thanked me and the staff several times. So, you know, it was awesome to be able to roll this out for them, you know, um, you know, get him the treatment that he wanted. So next slide, thank you. Um, so this is just some uh, information about access to care. Uh, I think we presented it last time, but basically from November 2021 to April 2022, uh, we're seeing about an average of 20.3 patients per month. From January 29th, 2021 to May 30th, 2022, there are about 295 <laughs> visits. Uh, for 269 patients, and from January 2022 to March 2022, uh, patients' return to care was about 55%. Okay. And next slide, thank you. So uh, moving into our phase three, so our goal was to uh, purchase and fabricate or begin the fabrication of a Sprinter, Sprinter dental van. Um, and then also expand our dental services by providing comprehensive exams, deep cleanings, extractions, fillings, um, and fabrication and repair of dentures. Moving to the next slide, please. Thank you. So the accomplishments uh, for our phase three, we were able to successfully purchase the Sprinter van. Uh, we've had our first design meeting with the fabricators 
and we're expecting delivery um, in July of 2023. Um, also, we were able to select the interior colors for the mobile unit. Uh, this is a drawing of the mobile unit. Um, I guess the best picture to look at to kind of understand the layout is the picture on the right side. Uh, so behind the passenger driver's seat, you'll see the patient chair, and then behind that, you'll see the provider's stool, and then a sterilization area. Um, so that's the basic layout. Um, we may make some modifications because we do have to be wheelchair accessible. So in the sterilization area, uh, there will be a lift, and we may have to get rid of some cabinetry, but the goal is to be fully functional so we can provide the services for these patients. Um, moving next slide, these are the interior colors that I selected. Uh, the goal was to kind of, you know, make it feel welcoming and have the space feel open. Um, so based off the colors that were, you know, available, this is what I thought would work best. And um, this is something I was actually pretty proud about. Um, we got a visit from our AHS CEO and the mobile team. Uh, it was great that he came to visit. He had a few students with us. We were able to kind of show him around, you know, and show him what we were doing for the community. Um, I was also able to lay out exactly what we were doing with our phases of the mobile dental unit, um, which he didn't really know about, um, but he was extremely supportive and offered us, you know, whatever we needed, additional funding and additional support. Um, so it was great to, you know, have him on the ground seeing what we were trying to accomplish. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so just basically based off phase one, you know, we know that there is a high demand for this service. And, uh, you know, uh, rolling out this phase two, I'm excited to, uh, you know, begin the cleanings and additional uh, treatments. And uh, I look forward to, you know, getting our, our mobile unit, you know, the Sprinter van within the next, you know, six to eight months and providing additional services. Um, so super excited about that. Can't wait to get the Sprinter van. Yeah, so thank you guys. Those are my updates. Can I ask you, what are your hours? Uh, so right now I'm working, we're working uh, half day Monday, then full day Tuesday, Thursday. Normally our hours are about 9 to 4 p.m. Just depends on the site. Okay, thank you. Yeah, you're very welcome. Good. Sounds great. Yes. <laughs> um, this is uh, Mark. I'm just wondering, uh, are those hours likely to change or are they currently, um, are they currently um, um, set as uh, times go, um, as uh, the regular time uh, going forward? Uh, I mean, I think they will be the, the regular times going forward for now, um, but there may be modifications just based off of, you know, demand um, and, you know, depending on uh, which sites we're going to. Um, but hopefully we can offer more, more time uh, so we can see additional patients.
Um, are we good to go back to the Eastmont expansion? Let's just move on to our okay. alternative payment methodology. I have reached out to um, Maritza, and I just have okay. to own this this error. Even though we created the slides and worked with her, um, I may have made an error because we were adding and deleting people from our invite list this week, and so oh. this would be part of the part of the reason why she's not here. So I'm trying to get that there. Hold on. So, okay. Thanks to you, John. Okay, we'll go on. We can move on. Okay. Hey, John, um, you're up. Hi, uh, good evening, everyone. Good to see you again. <clears throat> Happy to say I'm completely re completely recovered from the COVID I had when you last saw me. <laughs> um, so uh, is it all right if I share my screen? Oh, you've got mm -hmm. it, thank you. Okay. So I'm here to talk to you tonight <clears throat> about an opportunity uh, potentially coming up that we are evaluating uh, for the FQHCs um, and it is called the Alternative Payment Methodology, or APM. So my goal tonight is to give you an overview of the program, uh, tell you what's coming up with it, and finally to ask for your approval uh, for to move ahead with a non-binding letter of interest, simply telling the state that we would like to be able to apply for the program when that happens. Uh, we, are, we have not made a decision yet, and we are still working on that, uh, or recommendation, excuse me. So APM, what is it? It is a Medi-Cal initiative, and it is fundamentally about reimbursement in Medi-Cal. Right now, being an FQHC entitles you to a certain rate. Uh, that rate is clinic-specific, and that rate is a payment for every traditional billable visit, uh, traditionally face-to-face, -face, now also including telehealth. So the patient does have to come and be seen in a specific way in order for this payment to come. The transformation would be moving away from this to capitated rate or per head so that for every patient who is assigned to a clinic in a given month, uh, the FQHC would get a payment rate simply for having that patient established or um, assigned. Uh, next slide. This is in intended as a completely voluntary program. So it is entirely up to um, up, uh, up to us, the provider group, uh, to figure out whether to participate. However, uh, it is there are some strategic reasons. Uh, it might make sense to go to something a little more perceived as modern. Um, for example, although currently the rates we get are guaranteed by federal law in concepts, in, uh, they are supposed to be. They are usually much higher than Medi-Cal would pay if we were not FQHCs. And they are based on our, our full cost. They are theoretically supposed to reflect our full cost per visit. But in practice, with the state in control of how the rates are determined and set, they have found ways uh, to keep them from being quite uh, nearly 100% of costs. And it is very possible that going forward, um, we would, um, uh, that more things could happen that would endanger these rates. The state has never been that happy, uh, from what I've been able to tell, about this mandate on them to pay this way. Um, but in addition to uh, protection, it also has not the opportunity that this would be moving toward pursuing value over volume, um, uh, that you 
you know, some needs may not uh, really require a face-to-face visit. And if you were able to uh, redirect resources toward the most appropriate uh, setting of care, regardless of its mode, then this program would theoretically let you do it with maybe not more revenue, but the same revenue, at least. So there are some, there are some opportunities for this that we are evaluating. Next slide. Uh, this does not come. Um, this does not come as simply a uh, as as just what I described before. The program does require that you set up that you make some commitments in addition to just changing how your payment works. First of all, they ha- they would be tracking visit volume. The basic concept is they don't want a clinic to make money off of the a- APM simply by by reducing access, which you could theoretically do. So they would track visit volume and make sure uh, that it does not drop by more than 30%. If it dropped by more than 30%, there, there would be a move to a corrective action plan. Um, however, importantly, that 70% is not, um, hold on. That 70% is not just the traditional visit. Um, it is also counting alternative care touches, such as nurse-only visits, uh, health education, outreach, uh, chows, and so forth. So it is uh, including the kinds of visits that might be moved to, moved in the direction of. Uh, there are quality metric requirements. Um, there, there is a set of quality metrics where everyone uh, has to. Uh, Everyone has to meet a certain number of the metrics with increasing targets over time, and there, it does not contain positive incentives for meeting them. It just contains penalties for not meeting them. And I will talk about exactly what those are in a future slide. <laughs> Question? Um, it would be important to be able to transmit data at, at probably higher standards to the Medi-Cal managed care plans. And I say Medi-Cal managed care plans because although this is uh, – Although this is a Medi-Cal program, it would not apply to straight Medi-Cal. It would only be a transformation uh, for the managed care patients. Now, this is what the state has told everyone about so far. They've been working with um, CPCA uh, and CAPH, the relevant associations, uh, to put to flesh out the details of this program. We don't know all the details yet, so that we are still following that. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, the quality metrics I mentioned before. They are mostly NCQA metrics, and most of them are measures we are already tracking, I think a majority. There are some that we are not, uh, especially with the quality incentive program, is where they currently exist. Uh, I just showed the measures here, uh, prevention, access to care, uh, prevention pediatric, behavioral health integration, chronic care, maternity care, and experience. Although we are tracking most of them now, some of them would have to be built, and some of them are in QIP, but the requirement, the benchmarks we have to hit might be higher than QIP requires. I believe it's you have to meet 12 of 20, but we don't know if you have to choose those in advance. So this, this would take some, uh, uh, some work on quality. Um, there has been positive feedback on precisely what the quality metrics are. 
Next slide. So as I said, there are many things that we don't know and we probably can't know for a while. The, the biggest one is, could this be a financial hit? And it's difficult to predict right now. In concept, it's about the same money-wise. And the state is delegating, oh, I apologize, uh, acronyms. Yes, QIT, Quality Incentive Program. Um, the state is not setting the rates itself. It is farming this out to an actuarial consultant, uh, which is also how they make rates for the managed care plans. And that will take some time to calculate. And we don't know all the assumptions they are going to make. Theoretically, it would be an equivalent rate. Will it be in practice? We don't know. Um, we would only find out significantly after the application, and we have been told verbally that if the rate is too low, we would be able to pull out once we know that. <coughs> so we would, of course, need that much, much firmer, not just verbal. Obviously, we would need to think about, are these quality metrics uh, reasonable to meet? Will the state impose other requirements that they have not yet told, about, told us about? And in particular, if, uh, if this applies to Highland, then it has the potential of applying to specialty services, which creates a lot of complications, uh, which we would have to look into. Next slide. So to examine these questions and recommend whether to uh, uh, whether to move forward with applying or not, know, knowing all these unknowns, uh, I have been directed to head a, a committee, which has been meeting for I think a couple of months now, uh, FQHCAPM committee, uh, which is supposed to make a recommendation uh, should we move forward on this. Uh, Damon is on it, Heather is on it. Um, um, uh, we're all very happy that uh, Portia is now uh, on board and we will be discussing this with her. Um, it also includes uh, ambulatory care, reimbursement, or sorry, reimbursement, revenue cycle, and others. Um, so we are trying to put together the risks and opportunities in terms of all of our priorities, patients, staff, quality of care, community connections, and sustainability, uh, including the finances. Uh, the immediate next step, if we want to have this as an option, is on October 14th, we need to submit a non-binding letter of interest. The state is now saying that a formal application would be due January 2023. We're hoping that that would actually be later. We were told later originally. If it all goes forward on the most optimistic schedule, the approved participants uh, would start uh, receiving this capitation in January of 2024, so in uh, about 15 months from now. And we would, uh, you see, in the late 2023 is when the rates I mentioned would come out and we might have a chance to pull out. Uh, it is possible that there is, it, it, we are told that there is another option to wait until 2025 and see how other participants are doing and uh, yeah, not, not jump in immediately. So that is certainly an option on the table. The letter of interest is fairly simple and I will walk you through it because it's, uh, it is also in the packet. Um, but because of the potential opportunities of this pro uh, program, uh, we are hoping that after discussion, uh, you, the board, uh, will approve, and we are also going to the HS executives, uh, 
approve us moving forward with developing and submitting a letter of interest. Um, this will include a list of clinics, list of contracted plans, a brief description of our data capacity, and a 125-word narrative of what we would expect to accomplish. It's essentially saying we would like to keep working on this and giving them some data in order to start pulling the rates, pulling the data, start, uh, start potentially doing calculations. The LOI, as I said, is not binding. Uh, it would not obligate us to apply uh, next year. Uh, can, I wanted to show everyone it. I don't know if we need to walk it through through piece by piece, but it is also in the packet, and I believe it's right after this presentation. Or I could pull it up. Oh yeah, here it is. Yeah, so it's just a couple of pages. It has uh, which sites do you want, uh, how many lives do they have, how much Medi-Cal, various letters, attestations, uh, lists of the pl plans involved, and then on the next page is the narrative. Uh, we are not asking you to approve the narrative site unseen. Uh, we would be coming back next month, which fortunately the meeting is scheduled for before the deadline of October 14th. Uh, but we would like to get this uh, conversation started and ask for your general approval of moving forward with this LOI tonight. We will go back to the final slides. And the next one. And I think that's basically what I said. Uh, so yes, so uh, happy to take your questions. Um, yes. Uh, hi. Uh, this is Mark. Uh, a couple questions. Um, first of all, uh, you were talking about uh, there, there, there's uh, benchmarks involved, uh, and um, have they have they basically made it clear as to uh, what those benchmarks are, and um, whatever benchmarks or number of benchmarks uh, are established. Um, is there any time? Is there, is there any time? Um, is there any time involved in allow, allowing space for you to basically achieve these uh, at, at, um, in a reasonable time frame? Meaning uh, that you're not uh, that you're not having to, uh, to to meet too many benchmarks too close together, so that uh, so that basically uh, you can see the results um, over time between each benchmark, uh, where you come from and where you're going, if that makes any sense. Yes. Uh, I think in concept it does give us some space to uh, achieve this. Year one, 2024, would be reporting only. We would see where we are and there would be no penalties. We would just be making sure we can report on it all. How, uh, year, and then the penalties are very low, even in year two, and they slowly scale up to a maximum of still not a very large number for, uh, for what I've uh, been modeling out. Um, however, uh, we can't answer that for sure until we see what the actual number of benchmarks are and can actually run and see where we compare and how much work would be necessary. So that would... I don't know that we're going to even have those numbers before our application. So this would be one of the things that we would have to evaluate going forward. Um, I can say that 
the quality incentive program, which we're doing now, has a concept of gap closure, meaning that you need to make a certain amount of progress between where you are now and a certain national or state benchmark. Uh, the APM metrics, although many of them are the same, uh, some of the same metrics, they do not have gap closure. It doesn't matter where you're starting. They just set a point where you have to go. Uh, um, it is year, year two is the 33rd percentile of Medicaid, and year three and onward is the 50th percentile. So we could determine that these are too ambitious, but we don't. Uh, but we would certainly be looking at that. One follow-up question: uh, Wouldn't it be wise uh, for us, uh, no matter how much uh, some of us may want to adopt uh, this uh, alternative plan, uh, would it not be uh, wise for for us to wait for 2025 to implement it, uh, simply to see? Uh, what happens with uh, other uh, uh, other groups that may adopt it earlier than us uh, so that we can uh, be uh, somewhat singularly aware or become aware of whatever pitfalls there may be uh, involved in adopting uh, this system? That's certainly, that's absolutely a possibility. Um, and there are other public health care systems that I understand are going that direction. Um, uh, for you personally, uh, the way you look at this particular plan, uh, for you and um, people that are also working on this, um, is it your um, opinion that it should be adopted as early as possible given um, currently how we operate? I haven't formed an opinion on that, but I haven't ruled out uh, recommending adopting it in 2024 because I think there could be significant benefits to it that we might want to pursue for our own reasons. Uh, additionally, it is possible that the experience of other people in it may not be as comparable as we want, because clinics are very different across the state, okay. and we don't know exactly who will be participating. about this for years from lifelong about 
you know, freeing us from what a lot of us call the treadmill, you know, in clinic of just running in and out of exam rooms and being able to kind of think more holistically, especially with video and telephone and all the things we can do about if we just have to take care of people's health and we get billed by the person and we get measured on quality, maybe we wouldn't actually design a bunch of visits in a row, but we would design kind of more holistic ways to care for people. So that's, that's the clinical kind of idea behind this that, that, that um, we're trying to drive. I think as John said, there's, there's a lot of analysis yet to be done about whether we get there, but that's at least the idea behind it. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks so much, Damon. Yeah. Are there other questions? Brandon, can you bring this up a little bit higher so that we can see the action item? I think health healthcare is changing so much and has changed so much even since COVID that it, it would make sense, in my mind anyway, that you would also want to change the the billing part of it as well. Um, because our practitioners, nurse practitioners and so forth doing a lot more work than they used to do and just different things like that. I think that's well said. The care model's changing and the financing hasn't changed very much behind it. And right. this is a, this is an attempt to align those. That's that's really, I think, a really clear way of saying it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if there aren't any additional questions or comments, the action here, as John mentioned, is to authorize HSDOT to draft and submit that non-binding letter of interest that he walked through. So. If a member of the CAB would like to, they can make a motion to authorize HS to submit the non-binding LOI. I make that motion. I'll second it. And Brenda, can we please get a vote on that motion? Yes. I will call your name for the vote. Please state yes or no. Loretta Mellon? Yes. B. Franks Walker? Yes. Mark Smith? Yes. Derek Turner? Yes. Ali Yessing? Yes. The motion passed. Great. Thank you. Thanks very much. I will see you next month. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Heather, are you going to? Um, yes, I'm going to present the Eastmont expansion. I did get in touch with Maritza, and she's okay. unable to be here tonight. She will follow up with us um, next month for any questions. But we're going to go ahead with the presentation because we have Dr. Inger as well, and she's going to um, speak a little bit to the Eastmont expansion as it relates to dental. Thank you so much, um, and Maritza, um, you can go ahead to the next slide. Just be aware um, that I may not be able to answer questions today, but you can certainly just um, mention your questions and we will document them and bring them to Maritza and she'll come back to us next 
months. Can you back up just a little bit, um, Brenda, for me to the slide previous? Thank you so much. And so, um, to, oh, there we go. That's the one, page 22. Um, there's going to be an expansion um, at East Mount Wellness Center, and it's focusing on dental clinics, eye clinics, and it's going to include a centralized sterilization hub for Eastmont. Um, Dr. Ng is going to talk to us a little bit about the eye, about the dental clinic. Hello, everyone. Can you all hear me? You can yes, go to yes. the next slide, and then Dr. Okay, so we do have an opportunity at Eastmont for an expansion. This expansion came about um, the need. Um, you know, we did um, a marketplace analysis, and um, there are actually not a lot of places that are um, accepting Medi-Cal insurance, which the majority of our patients do have in the community for dental services, as you might know. And um, so the need is really great. Our, and our access is actually, dental is one of the more impacted service lines that we have. We have a backlog of um, close to 300 patients. Um, and that's data that we get from our referral unit, which is a weekly data that we do uh, look at. Um, and, and also our uh, production is currently at 200% of our production. So we're work, working really hard to see these patients, but unless we stayed here 24 hours a day, seven days a week, I don't know that we would really be able to meet the need of the community. Um, so this, this expansion is um, greatly needed. It is um, Dr. Hernandez here to talk about the eye clinic? No, Dr. Ng, we took advantage of you since you were going to be here for dental. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about the eye clinic. Um, it was Maritza was going to present all of it, but we really appreciated that you were going to be here for the mobile dental. So just on me now. All right. Can everybody hear me okay? Yes. Yeah. Fantastic. Oh, and now, but, but I, I can't do it without my, my handy slide. There you Thank go. You so much, Brenda. I know she's having a real hard time today with uh, the PDF cooperating with her. So um, I'm sorry, Brenda, about that. And thank you for working hard on it. Um, so for the eye clinic, our, that's our optometry and ophthalmology services. They're going to locate those services right now. Um, this allows both services access to each specialty and the optometrist and the ophthalmologist to consult with one another to serve their patients better. Um, it's going to include nine optometry ophthalmology chairs. This is a uh, growth for both the adult medicine and our specialty department by co-locating those services. Okay. And again, I know that this is um, limited information and you probably have lots of questions, so you can think about them, you can chat them in if you like, we can collect them there, or you can ask the questions as well and we'll collect them for Maritza. I'm going to go to the next slide. And then the central sterilization hub. So they're going to be adding a central sterilization hub at Eastmont. Um, they don't have one currently, and that's going to be serving um, dental and the specialty clinics that you see listed here, podiatry, urogyne, ophthalmology, dermatology, and orthopedics, as well as women's services. So this is going to improve our ability to sterilize equipment um, for reuse within those clinics after sterilization. 
I think that that's the last slide. Is that right, Brenda? Um. There you go. All right. So this is a, there are just our summary. Um, this expansion is going to um, cost roughly $1 million, $1.1 million. Um, some of this is capital expense, and the capital expense, expense in general has been approved for um, Alameda Health System to move forward with this expansion. One of the reasons we're bringing it to you today is that there may be an opportunity for the CAD to approve some of the capital cost expenditures through funding that may come from the Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program because of capital expenses that they were intending but unable to use. They may reassign them to Alameda Health System um, through our Homeless Health Center to apply these funds for some of those capital expenses. And so we wanted to give you an overview today of what is included in that expansion. And we will be coming back to you in the future for an action item um, related to the capital expenses related to this expansion. Anybody have any questions? Yeah. I, I do have one question. Um, actually, I have two questions. <laughs> for the eye clinic, um, are they going to be able to order glasses for our patients where this hasn't been able to be done up to now that I'm aware of. You always, the patients always had to take the prescription and go outside of AHS to get it filled. And a lot of times uh, they couldn't afford it or, you know, different things like that. So is that going to change? Are we going to offer that service to our patients to um, be able to order their glasses to us? Thank you so much for your question. We're going to write that down for Maritza for next time. And then for the dental clinic, um, I know Medi-Cal has Dentical or whatever they, Denticade, whatever they call it. Um, the only problem, because I've tried to use this, this is, this is from a personal um, experience, none of the dentists that are on their list were even taking it anymore, you know? So it was it was a big problem trying to find somebody that was um, willing to take uh, the medical dental cal uh, to get dental work done. Um, is is that going to are we involved in making the other clinics that are on this list right now to also be able to take these patients? Because if not, I could see us being just overwhelmed with. Um, Dental patients, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's a that's an excellent question. Um, you're right. There, you know, from your thank you for sharing your personal story, um, because that through our market analysis, you know, and justification for this budget and for this expansion, we did, you know, see that there were um, practices that used to accept medical, but mm -hmm. just simply are not anymore. So you're correct. Absolutely. The, the demand has gone up because actually yeah. more people are able to qualify for Dentical, um, you know, Medical, um, but less providers are out there mm -hmm. accepting the insurance. And you are also correct, Loretta, in saying that, um, you know, we're inundated with patients. As I mm -hmm. shared, our backlog is um, near 300, and that's um, 
you know, referrals coming in, but we also get referrals from the emergency room every single day, patients mm. coming in with pain and swelling, um, people literally walking off the streets and, um, you know, demanding for services because, um, you know, during the pandemic, a lot of these um, elective services were actually postponed. So if you could imagine a cavity that was maybe a medium-sized cavity that was causing sensitivity during the pandemic and um, basically, you know, a lot of dental practices were closed. We're doing aerosolizing procedures and it took a lot for us to reopen So and to be safely reopened for our staff and our patients. So um, that medium-sized cavity then grows into a large-sized cavity, which then can turn into maybe a root canal or even an extraction or fracture of a tooth. So we are being inundated with um, with patients. I will say that I do um, sit on um, with with Alameda County Office of Dental Health. They hold these uh, dental director peer meetings every month, so I am able to you know communicate with the other dental directors in the community. Um, you know, saying like you know, really, um, we all need to do our part in, in you know, addressing the, the access problem, right? And um, really, at Highland, we're seeing the, the most complex dental patients, mm-hmm. you know, and I've really asked them to um, not refer just, like, the simple patients that they could see over in their community health centers, um, you know, if they have something that is, you know, specific for our oral surgeons that we have our oral surgery residency program like a biopsy or third molar extractions with sedation those are things that we um, are accepting for referrals at Highland or special needs patients patients that need a general anesthesia and um, full mouth rehab dental rehab in the operating room under general anesthesia those are the types of patients that are um, you know we would are happy to accept. So we are, uh, Loretta, also being, you know, more strict in our uh, referrals in terms of what we will accept um, as well. So basically it's up to the county, I guess, to make more incentives to these other dental practices to take Genical. Is that why so many of them are not I don't know that it would be up to the county because it it is, um, the county doesn't drive the reimbursement. Oh, Um, That that happens through our, um, usually through FQHC. Right, right, right. Reimbursement rate through the state. So um, that would probably work beyond our county. Yeah. Fortunately. For sure. But I think that this expansion would help a lot. Mm -hmm. I was just saying, uh, you know, in our budget as well, at least 50% of what we reported in the past as the revenue behind this care and all of the care we provide is supplemental funding as well. So I think I would add, you know, it's not the county, it's not just that QHC rates either that really drives the financial sustainability of these kinds of expansions. It's also what's happening with supplemental funding that, that we receive. And that's, just, I think, why it's been really critical for us to get a better handle on that. Is, is the dental clinic going to do that? 
Currently, we are contracted with Medi-Cal as our primary payer and no one else. Uh, we, uh, we did look, we are looking into um, private payers, but um, as far as the, for the expansion, uh -huh. um, with that, that is yet to be seen. Okay. Um, yeah. More to come on that, I think, as we get yeah. closer. I just have to say, um, Eastmont Wellness Center, um, for years I've watched it progress and grow. And I think that it, it is such um, a good example of what can happen in a community where you have all the social services basically there, you know, social security, social services, counseling, um, in-home support services. I mean, everything is right there for our Medi-Cal patients. And I think that is such a, a, a beautiful thing, a great thing, because um, that way you're not sending people, go downtown Oakland or, you know, go up to Hayward or whatever. You know, everything is just right there. And that's, that's a great thing, in my opinion. Okay. On item G, Heather, um, have our program report. Yes, it's time for that monthly program report. Thank you so much. Um, we do have a monitoring visit scheduled for September 23rd coming up. It's focused on finance, so we'll have the results of that following the visit. And also, we recently submitted our Bridget Bridge Clinic change in scope. We often refer to that as the CIS, which will add um, portions of OA1 to our scope of services. And it was submitted um, to HRSA after it was approved by the Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program Commission. And so that is underway. We can move on to show our utilization. Our utilization, you know, we're looking at the 12 months of utilization for patients experiencing homelessness. Um, and so, as you see right now, in the past 12 months, we've seen about 3,500 patients. And you can also see how they've been seen in the Highland Primary Care, Highland Specialty, etc. as you look down that list. And again, you have this packet so you can zoom in um, and see it very closely. You go to the next slide. You can also see the utilization from month to month at each of those um, areas that we discussed on the slide before. So it'll show Highland Primary Care and Highland Specialty. Those are the ones that are at the top. The next one there is Eastmont. This is pretty typical. As you can see, I mean, Eastmont, it's an easy line to see because it's unobstructed by any of the other lines. And so you can see that um, Eastmont in general has an upward trend in the past 12 months. Down below, um, you can see our, our Alameda Health System mobile clinic that kind of goes up and down. And part of that is because it's just a, a small number of patients that they see that it can change um, very quickly because it's just the one to two providers that are seeing patients at Alameda Health System Mobile Clinic or our nurse practitioner and our dentist there, but you will see it steadying out in upcoming months. We go to the next slide. What we've done is we've grouped together all of our um, 
primary care patients and all of our specialty care patients, regardless of what site they're being seen at. And this, again, is for the last 12 months. And then we see again, we look at how those are showing over the last 12 months, what it looks like over time from the last 12 months. Some of the places where you see a dramatic change, I think have to do with um, when services are opening back up. I know that the, the change in March for the specialty clinic, we also switched over several of our clinics to FQHC. And so um, we are trying to do a little bit deeper dive into seeing why that was such a dramatic shift to see if there's something um, that we're, we may have overlooked in our previous reporting but that we caught in the later reporting um, because it is a pretty dramatic shift and that you see that it seems, it seems pretty stable after that shift in March. We also see the steady incline of our behavioral health down at the bottom, which is something I know that you are very interested in. Um, so in our, that's okay, Brenda, you're doing great. Um, in, our, in our leadership uh, and advocacy, I always need my help of my, of my very large paragraph to remind me of all the changes. Ambulatory um, division has really, you know, gone through the process. What I will say is probably the first four sentences are consistent with the support that um, Damon and I, as well as Brenda, have been providing to uh, things outside of our homeless health center to provide support. Um, to our clinics. That includes providing support to our refugee clinic and providing support to our COVID vaccination efforts for employees and patients. So that's longstanding. We keep it on there to remind you that, that we've pulled in these uh, other directions. And then to keep you updated on the new things, we've highlighted Dr. Mack. She's here. We give her props. Thank you so much. Also some updates for our practice manager. So Richard OJ um, was previously the practice manager for our Highland dental, ortho, podiatry, and marina wellness clinic. Um, he has accepted the position to uh, be the practice manager at Hayward Wellness. That um, position had been open for a little while, and so we're really excited that he's going to take on that responsibility. Um, in the meantime, um, guess who gets to cover those clinics? Yes, you're one and only. Mine uh, <laughs> has 90, you see I put it on there, 90 days, y'all, 90 days. We've got 90 days. <laughs> for me to help out at these clinics to just provide some some uh, some leadership while we figure out what's next for those clinics, um, including searching for new leadership in those clinics. Yeah. Um, also, uh, just a reminder: there's a new vaccine coming out next week. Well, it's already out, but we will have it on site here at Alameda Health System next week, and so. Uh, we're working hard again to get the vaccines um, prevalent and available, and so we're reopening our, our HCP3 clinic that will provide the new bivalent vaccine as well as uh, Evipox and flu vaccine. So we're putting all those three things together, and they'll be back in, uh, in action at HCP3 starting next week. Um, so I'm also supporting that effort with Dr. Swift and Eric Mahone. Mm -hmm. That's what's going on for us. Did I miss anything, Damon or Portia? No, I don't think so. Really thorough. 
Well, I tell you, you know, I, I get this thing ready about a week and a half in advance, and sometimes it's the day before that we find out something new has happened. Um, <laughs> yeah. Not to forget, I'm pretty sure it's in there, but Dr. Francis is continuing to help out over at Newark Medical Center, um, Newark Wellness Center, sorry, as a medical oh. director. Thank you, Damon. All right, we're going to be moving into closed session in a moment, right, Loretta? Yes. yes. Um Sure. I can ask. Thank you. I'll jump in. So we're going to be moving into closed session to discuss existing litigation. So I think, Heather, if you're running um, the meeting to do breakout rooms, if you could move the board members, me, Dr. Francis, and Marwin into closed session, that would be great. Yes. Thank um, you. Is there anybody else who gets to move in there? Like, I'm thinking Dr. Mack and Tangerine would also be, no, they can't be in there? All right. Tandria is saying no, she doesn't want to be. So. <laughs> no, I did not say that. <laughs> I, 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 was, I don't think that I have the jurisdiction to be in it. Okay. <laughs> I think that's, yeah, stick to the board members, Dr. Francis, Marwin, and me as legal counsel. Okay, great. I shall make that happen. Please, um, in a moment, you might see a, um, a button on your screen um, as, I, as I put you in there, okay? Great. Thank you. You are now in a breakout session.